Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and you're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode. We're on site at the tasting room for Misha's Vineyard talking with Misha Wilkinson about her journey from theatre through to the corporate world and then into wine in the central Otago of New Zealand. So right now, let's go have a chat with Misha. Good morning, Misha. Good morning, Boris. <laughs> lovely to be here in uh, what is a lovely sunny day in, um, well, what are we just sort of getting on to mid to later August? Yeah, supposedly our coldest month. But uh, and we did start today at minus six. Really? But yeah, we did. But wow. it's a perfect Central Otago day. Yeah. Perfect blue skies. Not a cloud in the in the sky. Yeah. No, um, it's, but it's it's just pretty not special. that warm yet. No, no, not that warm. It's warming up though. It's warming up, and we're just sitting in the tasting room um, for our listeners. Um, Misha's just looking out um, across the top of Lake Dunstan, isn't it? Lake Dunstan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not far away. Uh, in the distance are the, are the vineyards. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're about 10 minutes down the lake on State Highway 8. Um, it's on the right side of the lake, and uh, that's uh, all meanings of that word. Um, being on the right <laughs> side of the lake is um, our strategic location in our frost-free location. So right. talking about frost at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. we're in a country, we're in a region that's um, prone to frost. Yep. So being on that side of the lake um, on some really steep slopes gives us incredible frost drain off and we right. face the afternoon sun during the growing season. Right, so, yes. Yeah. So an important location there, but yeah. uh, as we can see out the window, it's a pretty rocky, unforgiving terrain. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. doesn't look like you can grow much no. there, but we grow grapes there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's looking really good. So, and then, um, so how did you come to be sitting here now um, doing this and, and talking about wine? Because it wasn't where you first started out. No, no. You know, I never would have thought when I was about three years old and starting ballet that I would end up doing wine. I right. thought I was going to be a ballerina. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I pretty well grew up in the theatre. Okay. My mum, I grew up in Melbourne, yep. so yes, that is an Australian accent that Just you can slight, detect. Yes. Slight. I'm trying to lose it. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. No. Born Australian, fine. but I have taken um, the pledge and become a New Zealander. Mm-hmm. So um, in New Zealand, I describe myself as a smart Australian, and that gets me <laughs> lots of brownie points. <laughs> yeah. It may not work so <laughs> in other places. <laughs> yes. No. So I married a Kiwi. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Melbourne. My mum was an opera singer. My dad Dad died when I was um, a couple of years old, mm. and so Mum used to take me to the office with her. But right. her office was theatre. Yes, wow! So I literally watched her from the side of stage, um, or in her dressing room, and grew up with sort of music in my blood. I yeah, think. yeah. But um, I want, decided I was going to be a ballerina, okay, um, not an opera singer. Yes. So trained to do ballet. Um, did very well, got into the Australian Ballet School, mm. and then they threw me out a few weeks later and said, you haven't finished growing, and this is at about 16 uh. and a half, and um, they were right, I grew too tall to be a ballerina. Right, right. So ended up joining the opera company and joined my mum on stage and danced with the Australian Opera for a couple of seasons, oh, and then oh, cool. uh, gave the whole theatre idea away. Yeah. And ended up working in marketing of the arts, so right. marketing at Sydney Opera House and Royal Opera House in London. Okay, but sorry, so did you actually perform 
I did perform for two years um, in the Australian Opera when she was right. singing and I was dancing. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's it was quite pretty special. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With Dame Joan Sutherland. Um, okay, yes. Know, famous diva yeah. um, of Australia. So, yeah. A wow, fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then thought, okay, that's not where you're going to no. hang around? No. Uh, so, but, you know, theatre was the thing I knew most and so I decided I'd be... Um, an arts marketer, marketing opera and ballet. Okay. So I did that for Sydney Opera House and then the Royal right. Opera House in London. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, and my first degree is musicology. Okay. So when did so, when did you when did you start the degree? Sort of I pretty... went back to university about twenty two. Yep. Um, and I had started the degree, but just got involved in shows on campus, and that's why I thought no. I'm not serious about a degree. I'll go and do some dancing. So that's when I joined the opera as a dancer for a couple of years. Right. They didn't mind tall dancers because opera singers were bigger. Yeah. So I didn't have to be, you know, fit yeah. a certain sort of physical yeah. profile. Yeah. Um, but then after I got that out of my system, I thought, no, I need my degree. So I went back with sort of renewed enthusiasm yeah. and did my, um, did my arts degree, but it was a major in musicology. Mm-hmm. So musicology is sort of like what art history is to art. Ah, you know, so okay. So the study of the, the background yep. and the history of music. Right, okay. And then, uh, then I'd been working at the Sydney Opera House for a long time um, in sort of arts marketing roles, and then I went to London to the Royal Opera House. Wow. So that was great, but what I discovered was I was good at marketing and the arts didn't pay very much. Right, <laughs> yeah. It was very prestigious to work at the Royal Opera House. Yeah. Um, I was invited to lots of dinner parties with people saying, oh, she works at the Royal Opera House. But, you know, it just didn't pay the bills particularly well. So I came back to uh, Sydney at that time and uh, joined a technology company, Gestetna. Um, After a few years, got headhunted by IBM. Um, And that sort of then started the next 20-odd years in the technology sector. Right, okay. So I met my husband at IBM. Yeah. That was was fantastic. And And where was uh, that? Did you sort of move around? In Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Then I moved to another tech company, Intel. Mm -hmm. Um, So Intel was a company that made chips for for, microprocessors for PCs. Yeah. And at that stage, they were just starting to make people aware of what the microprocessor was in a PC. So it's a famous um, famous sort of case study, if you like, of a technology company all of a sudden becoming a consumer company. Right. And it was at a time when everyone started to go, oh, my PC has a 386 chip in it or yes. a 486 or a Pentium. Yes. So it was the and powered so by Intel sort of little... Powered by symbol. Intel, yeah. Yes. So I joined Intel at that time. Right. So pretty exciting time in the the 90s to yep. join Intel. Yeah. And then after a few years, they asked me, would I take an Asia-Pacific job in Singapore? And my boyfriend at the time was already doing an Asia-Pacific job um, at IBM. And um, we managed to organize moves with our respective companies to Singapore. Okay. Which nice. um, then, 17 years later, <laughs> wow. was still home. Um, wow, 17 years we, up in yeah, Singapore. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's a good long stint. It absolutely is. Yeah. And being in um, the Asia-Pacific region, being based in Singapore in the tech sector in the 90s, was fantastic. Mm, mm. Um, and then I later worked for Dell Computer. Mm-hmm. And Intel and Dell were the sort of Googles of this era, if you like. They were the really cool companies to work for. Um, So it was crazy times, um, fantastic, Mm. learnt a lot. But then uh, you come to this point in time sometimes where you go, well, is that what my life is all about? I'm just um, 
a little cog in this huge machine. Uh, pretty intense positions. I mean, um, both, you know, Andy was working for uh, IBM at the time and both of us travelled about 80 or 90% of our time. So sort of crazy, right, crazy lifestyles. And then you start to think, you know, if I left next week, what would my legacy be? Nothing. I'd be replaced and forgotten about yeah, very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just we decided that we needed a plan and we had to go and do something um, a little different with life. So it took us a little while to figure out what that was, but we decided we wanted to go and plant a vineyard. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> and make wine. Yeah, so you, you sort of talked together. through a few different options. And we so, did. Sorry, were you still up in Singapore at the time when you we were, were working through that? Right? We were. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, there's a little bit of shortcut here, but, you know, from the moment we decided we would do something together, that's when we did our MBAs in Singapore, and that was in the, the mid early 90s, so actually mid-90s. And it did actually take 10 years until we finally figured out what that thing would be that we would do together ah, so okay, it right. was actually a 10-year conversation yeah okay right um, right whatever we thought about we thought we need more money so that was the incentives just to stay keep, doing those keep, jobs yeah. and, and keep making money because um, yeah. stock options were pretty good in tech companies right. in the 90s yep uh, and then, you know, I think it was in about 2001 that we had decided that a vineyard was the thing and New Zealand was the place. Um, I already had thought of myself as a New Zealander in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough, when we first got there, um, I figured there were so many Australians there, I'd be part of the New Zealand Singapore Business Council and and okay. I just hung out with Kiwis, basically, for yeah. the 17 years I was in Singapore. Right. So, to the point that we went once went to an event and someone said, hand up all the Kiwis in the room. And I put my hand up and my husband said, darling, you're not. <laughs> and I felt quite upset about that. So. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, we decided we would be doing you know, something in New Zealand and... Uh, you know, this is one of those things, go find out, you know, what you're passionate about. And we sort of realised that wine was something we were passionate about, had never thought about turning that into a career. Mm. But one of Andy's cousins had a vineyard um, in Bannockburn, okay. it was Bannockbray Estate. And so you had, had you been drinking wine while you were up in Singapore, and particularly New Zealand wine, or all sorts? wine or, yeah. since I was <laughs> allowed to with yeah. a very small glass <laughs> at home. Remember, right. my mum was an opera singer, right. so okay. life okay. was a party, and there yeah. was, um, I sure. think I was probably introduced to champagne as my first drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my husband worked um, at a bottle shop as one is one of his early jobs right. um, in Sydney okay. um, got yeah. fired from it because he didn't know enough about the wines but um, yeah we both had a long history involved yeah, with yeah. wine I think yeah um, and you know every holiday that Andy and I had um, spent together was in wine regions and and doing wine things okay yeah so yeah um, I did leave out a, a brief thing, you know, during that 17 years in Singapore, we did actually spend a couple of years back in New Zealand in 99, 2000. Right, okay. Um, yep. We sort of took a, a gap and Andy worked for a tech company and I worked for Auckland City. Mm -hmm. um, and our, um, our great friends were Jeff and Virginia Poole from Fine Wine Delivery ah, Company. Yep. And they introduced us to um, Pinot Noir from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started collecting Pinot Noir. Okay, so yep. that was a key thought as well. It's yes. like Pinot, wow, Pinot from New Zealand. Mm. That's uh, probably hadn't drunk um, an awful lot of that. Um, yeah, and that was that probably stage. still sort of... The 
early-ish days, days yeah, for, for Pinot, and, and for, certainly for Citro Targa as a, as a region, yeah, wasn't it? absolutely yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we started collecting Pinot Noir then, so um, that was certainly... Um, an instigator for us or an inspiration I should say Mm. but then when we discovered that Andy's cousin had a vineyard and I remember walking away from um, talking to Crawford and Catherine about the vineyard thinking what does Crawford know about wine he's a brewer I mean he was the master brewer for spates yes and uh, and I thought what does he know about wine we know more about wine than Crawford (laughs) well (laughs) I'm not sure that that was true but um, (laughs) it was sort of like that was the idea of maybe we could do something with wine. Right. Uh, and I think I think maybe it was in a reaction to coming from the tech industry and just feeling like you were just um, this, this sort of small cog thing. The concept of finding a piece of land and growing something and making a product and taking it, you know, and marketing it, and marketing was my forte, um, that was a really attractive option. Mm. And that's one of those things that, you know, maybe I can leave my legacy by actually growing something and making a product, a very tangible product. Yeah, and so. you can be involved in the process the whole way. The from, whole way, from, from, yeah. From when it, you know, every season when it starts to grow, yeah. you've got to look after it right through to getting it out to market and telling people about yeah. it and then seeing them enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> that whole. And what you say about the whole way, I mean, we looked at options of uh, already established vineyards mm-hmm. and going in partnerships with people, but we actually decided we wanted to find bare land and do it our way. Mm-hmm. And we had a motto of no compromise. Mm-hmm. So we didn't like the way anyone else had done it. We we had very clear ideas about what we wanted to do. Yep. So we were still living in Singapore at the time. We actually spent two years to find the land. We were coming out and travelling about every six weeks. We'd have a, a but few But did you days know here. that you wanted somewhere around... We looked Generally at Central, we looked yeah. at Marlborough and a little bit in Christchurch. Okay. Um, I thought it was going to be Central Otago that we were going to, to end up in. Uh, it's where Andy's family is from, 10 cousins in the area. Mm. But uh, once we looked at the other regions, it was sort of confirmed that Central was the right place. And it's because it's still pioneering country. And we still felt you could get a fantastic site um, in in Central, whereas Marlborough felt like they were at a much more developed stage with yep. all of the bigger companies coming in, and we couldn't find you know the perfect site. And if you don't have the perfect site, why even start to try and make great wine if that's what you're trying to do? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. So a couple couple of years of looking, we found the land uh, at the end of 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, ordered vines, started to, to plant. Uh, we were still living in Singapore. I quit my corporate job. And then uh, for the next few years, I lived between Singapore and New Zealand. And uh, my husband, Andy, said, uh, darling, you go and establish the vineyard. And once we're making wine and making money, I'll quit my job. Right. So, so you know, it's interesting. It's actually... From that initial idea that we would make wine to something in a glass mm-hmm. was eight years. Okay, yeah. So yep. that's why, you know, I, we were still living in Singapore yes. and um, Andy likes to say that his job was to fill the bank account faster than I depleted it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> establishing the vineyard. Well, you know, I can imagine there's a, um, there's a lot of outgoings if you're starting from nothing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a lot to get ordering vines, and, putting in yeah. the infrastructure, waiting four years before we took our first commercial. Crop. So just on that, so how do you know how do you know to, how to go about these things? Like, how did you know where to go to yeah. order, order vines? For you know, where, where's good? 
what's so I think um, one of the benefits maybe of coming from the corporate world is you know what you know and you know what you don't know um, so you don't have that small business mentality um, it's like I know I'm really good at this marketing area but I need people to help me with those other aspects so we did have Robin Dicey as our viticultural consultant here, mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the originators of Mount Difficulty. Okay. Um, he'd planted more vineyards than anyone else in the region. Uh, and we did have another guy called Dr. Richard Smart, and he's a double PhD, Dr. Doctor. Right. Um, so uh, Dick, Dick Smart was uh, a guru in terms of being able to ascertain whether it was the right sort of site, and we had him consult and... Okay. And he said, yes, it's best Pinot land I've seen. Buy more. Right. Um, and he said, don't be a Pinot princess. Um, plant aromatic white wines as well. Mm -hmm. So Good. you go, right, Robin, this is what we're going to do and how do we plant? And um, there's a lot of consultants and a lot of people involved. Mm. Uh, so uh, also actually having Andy's cousin um, involved in the business, I spent a lot of time with him um, right. asking about his experiences. Um, yep. But once you start asking the question, it's like yep. anything with good research, you know, you find out the answer and then, yep. you know, you get enough people to sort of validate that and you make a decision. Yeah. But to be honest, that was, you know, we planted in 2004. It still felt a bit like pioneering days here. People were still experimenting a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, this region still is only about 25, 30 years old, really. Yes. It's, yeah. it's no, such it's very, a, it's a young, young region. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Certainly compared to um, anywhere overseas. You know, yeah. It's just, it's really young. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. And then so, so yep, you were on the ground here getting everything Getting everything happening. sorted, yeah. yeah. So we took a first trial vintage in 2007. Mm -hmm. We just took a tonne and a half to make about 100 cases of wine. And that wasn't for sale. That was just to make sure the label and the process was all smooth. Yep. Um, but it wasn't until 2008 that we took our first commercial crop. Uh, so that means it wasn't until sort of end of 2009 that we had um, wines in bottle ready to go. Yep. Uh, so we were still living in Singapore at that stage. Uh, we stayed living in Singapore for the next year mm -hmm. because when we launched our brand, which was at the end of 2009, uh, we, had, we announced a distributor in New Zealand but three distributors in Asia. Right. So we figured it was better to stay in Singapore and spend time in mm -hmm. Singapore, Hong Kong and Japan to make sure those distributors were happy that we were supporting them yep. um, so much of the time. And then at the end of that year, then we moved to New Zealand to live here full time. Right. And Andy quit his job um, and joined me in the business. Yeah, cool. Exciting. So, it would have yeah. been exciting. Yeah. 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 So we were here from yeah the end of 2010, beginning of 2011. Right. Okay. So, so, so coming, well, so it's your first decade of production yeah. then, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're coming up to our 13th vintage 13th now. 13th vintage, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but it feels like we've just started, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. In some ways, it does. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I can appreciate that. Well, yeah. you, you're um, you were coming from a point zero, so there's always a lot to learn, right? And yeah. like anything, there's always a lot to keep learning. Yeah. 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 But I feel like, you know, in that process of um, deciding what we're going to do, and then looking for land, and then waiting all that time, that's a lot of years that you learn about wine. Yeah. Uh, so we had a marketing and business plan 
We actually had that right. done before we even found the land, right. to be honest. Th those two years were a perfect time to figure out where we were going to sell our wine, at what price, what our competitors would look like, um, what our um, differentiation strategy would be. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that was actually done before we even found the land. Right. You remember, I'm a corporate yeah, marketing yeah, girl, yeah. so, that, so you, you, you know, came that's from my your thing. area of expertise <laughs> and said, you know, this is, yeah. I know this bit. Yeah. Okay, and did you? Um, so you've got a um, bit of land up up there now. And did you? So did you plant it sort of all at the same time, or did you yeah. gradually? So we bought fifty-seven hectares. We mm -hmm. were initially going to buy um, fifteen, right? Um, but when <laughs> Richard Smart said buy more, we did. Right. Uh, so a little bigger than we intended. Yeah, well, that's and a bit uh, more. we planted ten hectares in two thousand and four. Uh, 12 hectares in 2005 and another four hectares in 2007. Mm -hmm. So we've got 26 under mm -hmm. vine at the moment. Yep. So that's about half the estate, but uh, there's probably only about eight or nine hectares that we haven't planted as yet. Mm -hmm. So we make about 11,000, 12,000 cases of wine a year. Right. Okay. Um, and that seems like um, the right sort of amount right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything changes when you take the sort of next stage up from that. So, you know, for us, the the size of vineyard is enough so that we can be single vineyard because that's what we wanted to be. We, we believe in that site, so mm -hmm. everything comes from that site. Mm -hmm. And everything on that site, you know, we've planted, we hand pick, we do everything by hand. Um, it's big enough that we have our own team, so we don't use contract staff. We can have our own viticultural team, have our own winemaker. Right, yeah. Um, so uh, it, it works pretty easily and, you know, we're very in control of um, the operations. Yeah. So Andy and I work in the business. In fact, there's only three in the office upstairs here. Yeah. Um, we do between us sales, marketing and, you know, logistics and payroll and accounts. And uh, so, yeah. So taking it to a next level, we could do, but um, there is more to plant. But at the moment, we're, we're just happy where we are. Um, yeah, it's going to change it, change it to, yeah, to, yeah have, have that extra volume. And and what what have you, um, what varietals are you um, working with at the moment? So as we look at our wine wall, yes. we've got Pinot Noir, of course. Yep. So sixty percent of what we do, um, although it's seventy-seven percent of what the region does. So. We're, uh, we've got a slightly broader mix than most people have. Mm -hmm. We have Sauvignon Blanc, un unusual in central mm -hmm. Otago. Yep. Um, and that was part of our marketing strategy, knowing we were going to be in Asian markets right. where they'd say, right, uh, New Zealand wine, you have Sauvignon. Yes. It's like, yeah. yes, of course we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have others. Let's talk about some of the others as well. Right. So yeah. we do have two hectares of Sauvignon. And we have Pinot Gris. Riesling and Gewurz Tremina. Ah, and we okay. make two different styles of Riesling and two different styles of Gewurz, an off-dry and a, a dessert wine. And then about three years ago, we added rosé to the mix, a Pinot Noir rosé. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, all up, there's about 11 wines in our range. Yeah. So it's yeah. quite a, quite a decent sort of range. Yeah, it is. Yeah. In, um, so still quite a bit going up into Asia for you? Is yes. Percentage? Yeah. 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 And I think it was, um, it's a few things. Having lived in Singapore, um, I lived in Singapore at a time where not too many people were really knowledgeable about wine. Uh, 
in fact, there wasn't much of a, a wine culture at all. But I was in Singapore when there wasn't much of a coffee culture. And I have this theory that this whole coffee culture and people starting to drink lattes and going to coffee shops, that sort of is about five or six years ahead of then the whole drinking wine and having wine bars okay. and that. Yeah. And yeah. saw Singapore transform into this place where lattes were you know, an everyday occurrence right. to now people going in and opening a bottle of wine and having a glass of wine. Yeah. So that whole change happened during the 90s um, right. while we were in Singapore. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got um, quite a few Asian markets, Singapore being the, um, the biggest, and I think that's our personal attachment to it. Yep. But we do also have a few other countries in Asia. I think what I noticed... In the 90s and the early 2000s in Singapore was a lot of wine companies were um, treating Asia as really sort of second best. They weren't um, delivering their best wines to Asia. It wasn't important. People didn't know about wines, they thought. And I know being um, living there for such a long time was one of those thoughts that we had. So we're going to do a great job of delivering wines in Asia. And um, this is where the future is. So our strategy was um, to focus on the Asia-Pacific region because it was a region we knew. We thought that was the future and uh, and also a bit of a competitive advantage. I think lots of New Zealand wineries were sending wine to the UK and, and the US and Australia, but uh, we didn't see as many wines from New Zealand in Asia. So... Now we have 15 export markets, um, and most of those are across the Asia-Pacific region. Yep. And that gives us the opportunity to be back in Asia on a regular basis, which we love. Yeah, which is nice, um, yeah, because yeah. you and you know it. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're in markets like Vietnam and Myanmar, and oh, great. Um, as well as the bigger markets, as well as China and yeah. Japan and Hong Kong and Singapore. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. Well, it must and, be really interesting to see how all the, you know, like Vietnam and those markets are... Um, developing and yeah. you know what's happening there and yeah it yeah. really is yeah. and I think you know one of the things that we really like is having come from the corporate world um, I guess we're very used to doing presentations and and sort of training people and we mm -hmm. get to sort of do quite a lot of that um, in Asia yeah. so we work a lot with the big um, five star hotels and if they take your wines then there's almost a requirement to then come in and train their staff and so we sort of spend a lot of time doing presentations and and training people on New Zealand wine we always start with New Zealand um, yes. then Central Otago and, right. and then our wines yeah and is um, and is that mainly where they're going into is the um uh, restaurants and hotels yeah, rather than pretty well yeah, resell all yeah. restaurants and hotels yeah, yeah we don't do too much retail at all right um, so that's worked really well with us and you know I go back to the original marketing plan that was that was the original strategy and it's why we have so many different wines such a different range of um, aromatic white wines because I always said we had to have enough wines to do a wine dinner right. and we do right. wine dinners yeah, on a nice. regular basis yeah. sometimes when you've done seven in a row, <laughs> it's too many in Asia, but um, that's what we love to do. So, and so when you're doing those, yeah. like in the different regions, yeah. uh, what are you, are you doing, pairing with food as yeah, well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're getting local, trying to get local produce yes, and local chefs. Done, and, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, gone are the days where um, in Asia they uh, think they've got to do a Western menu. Mm. I think the most tricky uh, wine dinner we did was um, at a famous Indian restaurant in Singapore and we paired wines with the uh, Indian food 
not that uh, pairing wine with the Indian food was tricky, but in this particular instance, they were having three and four dishes right. <laughs> for entree oh. and then for mains. And so I thought, well, that's not fair. Just find one wine. So we had two choices of wine for each of the, the courses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we do a lot with, with local food. That'll be fun. Um, yeah. 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 Well, wines have to be versatile and, you know, by and large in Asia, um, you don't have one dish like you do in mm. Western. Mm. Um, the wine needs to work across a, um, a range of, of food. Mm. So, mm. yeah, mm. it's fun. Oh, cool. Okay. And then, um, and then also at the same time, you've been doing some things back here as well. You've got the tasting room that we're sitting in yeah, at the moment. Yeah, so that was... We weren't. Uh, we didn't have a facility to host people, and um, I, given we were doing all these wine dinners overseas, people would arrive in New Zealand and call us and say, "Hello, we're here." Yeah. <laughs> we'd say, "Right, um, well, we don't have a tasting room, and uh, sometimes you know we'd have them come to our house, and then we'd take them in the car up to the vineyard, and you'd spend half a day with people, and it got to a point that that was um, really hard to do on a <laughs> yeah, yeah. on a regular basis. Yes, so." Uh, we also weren't sure about setting up a tasting room. You know, Central Otago doesn't have a big resident local population, um, relies on tourism. But, you know, about three years ago, we felt tourism had got to a point where it was justifiable to have a tasting room yep. that was going to be um, something we could have open all the time. Yeah. Um, so we looked at the visitor stats. Uh, our, our vineyard site was not possible as a tasting room location too far out of town, a steep driveway up to the up to the vineyard. Uh, so we found this cafe here um, in this uh, lovely site overlooking the lake, mm. and we thought this might work. So we spoke to the owners and said, "If you ever think of selling," and they said, "Actually, it's up for sale." So it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, we good bought timing. that. We yeah. converted it into a tasting room. Our office is upstairs, and this has been our home now for two and a half years. Mm, mm, it's a great spot. And what's really nice is people will come in here and say, "Oh, is Andy or Misha around?" And, yeah. and we are actually here. Yeah. So good. the benefit yeah. of being a boutique producer is people want to meet the people that yes. are, you know, behind the label. But obviously, we can't stand in a tasting room all day. We've got the business to run, but yeah. it's great with the setup we have now. Yeah. Um, it's a gorgeous spot. It is. And we tried to bring the vine vineyard visuals into the tasting room, yeah. so hence all the big photos around. Yeah. So it's worked really well. You've already done quite a lot in your <laughs> 10, 13 years, and you've got a lot of varietals. Have you got ideas around those other? Um, yeah, we do have. Yeah. We do have ideas. So our, our um, winemaker is Ollie Masters. So he used to be with Artarangi before he joined us. Right. Mm. Um, he's known as a Chardonnay sort of winemaker. We always say, you know, what do you think? Is it the Chardonnay location? Uh, he hasn't said yes to that yet. I think we're still sort of considering it. Um, you know, I always have these fantasies that maybe we should plant Nebbiolo because um, our favourite wine region is Piemonte in Italy. Wow. But I'm not sure we're quite warm enough, although with a few years more of global warming, yeah. who knows, yeah. that might might help a little bit with Nebbiolo. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, just what we have planted is fine. I think it's yet another level... You know, it's a big chunk of dollars to plant the rest of the hectares, um, and also it's four years before they start to come yeah. online. Yeah. So, uh, mm. so a little bit more work. I think the, this last initiative with getting the tasting room up and running and making sure that works and setting up our wine club um, was was quite a big initiative. Yeah, and 
And now, you know, with distribution, I think we're sort of pretty sorted with distribution, but there's always things going on. You're always mm. moving out of one country and into another or there'll be a change of distributor. So mm. it sort of feels like we're just, you know, yep. we've just done a few changes um, to our Good distribution in a couple of countries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And um, we just finish on the question that if you could have any glass of wine with anyone um, in any location. Mm. What and where and you know I who know, would absolutely be? know what that is. So, in a couple of weeks, Andy and I celebrate our twenty fifth wedding anniversary. Yes, congratulations! And uh, we're going on a cruise out of Venice. In fact, we board next Saturday, right. yeah. and our cruise will take us down the Croatian coast um, and around the Greek islands. And we have a day in Sicily, and. Uh, I am looking forward to going to Sicily, where we've booked a car and driver to take us up to Mount Etna, mm. and I'm looking forward to sharing an Etna Rosso, so Norello Muscolese is the great variety okay. from there. Yeah. So, you know, Mount Etna is still an active volcano, yes. and I'm thinking active volcano, <laughs> drinking a Norello Muscolese with my... Um, my husband now of 25 years, yeah, um, and I am looking forward to that more than anything. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic! I think you might be the um, you might be the first person I'm just thinking who's actually um, going to do <laughs> actually what they've said would be their favourite. Yeah, which is, um, well, it's a dream, you know. Yeah, and that's cool. for me, it's not wine. You know, favourite wines and that. It's not about the wine; it's mm. about the experience. Mm. So mm. that whole experience, you know, mm. I did my WSET three last year. We learned a little bit about uh, Sicily. I haven't been to Sicily. Right. Um, yes. Tasted a Norello Muscolese. I really like it. So yeah. um, to actually go there to an active volcano in Sicily, um, it's got. All sorts of things. You know, oh, to be honest, it doesn't absolutely. even matter what the wine tastes like because the experience be I'm, I'm already sure sold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no matter what it is, but I'm sure it'll be perfect. Oh, that's that's fantastic. That's really exciting. Oh, well, yeah. um, enjoy that. Thank you. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a great trip. And thank you yeah. very much for um, for having me here oh. today. It's been Thanks lovely for coming talking in and with you. Chatting, and I'm sorry I talked so much. No, but. well, that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, that's a good awesome. thing. Awesome. Thanks, Boris. All right. Thanks, Misha. We've been speaking with Misha Wilkinson from Misha's Vineyard in the central Otago of New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to mishasvineyard.com, M-I-S-H-A-S, vineyard.com. And be sure to have a listen to some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts where we talk with other people involved in the wine industry in New Zealand. And have a look at podcast.nz for some interesting podcasts on some other topics. And this episode was brought to you by bizebu.com. If you've got a great business idea, then let's get it started. B-I-Z-E-B-U.com. So thanks for listening in. We appreciate your company. Hey, kōna mai. Bye for now.